from historic Emmert Park in Los Angeles, California. I'm Tavis Smiley, and I'm so glad to see you and me back in stride again. Before we get started with today's show, let me invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at the real Tavis Smiley, and get updates on X, that's formerly Twitter, at Tavis Smiley. By the way, should you miss any part of today's program or want to catch up on previous shows, you can always visit thetavisSmileyShow.com or wherever you get your podcast and listen to the Tavis Smiley podcast at your leisure. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour, two conversations. Up first, now they're going after Shakespeare. We'll speak with renowned author, commentator, and founder of the organization Renewing Democracy, Ellis Coase, about this new development and the potential consequences of removing cultural and literary components from education. They've been banning books all along. Books written uh, specifically and certainly by African-American authors, but now they're going after Shakespeare. And so this is a, a fascinating time, I think, to have a conversation about what it means when we start removing these kinds of cultural and literary components from libraries, from schools, and from our education uh, system writ large. On the B side of our two, Representative Maxine Waters is a senior member of Congress, but she's the one who founded the To Be Young, Gifted, and Black Brain Trust. We'll talk with Maxine Waters about the Brain Trust and Congress's efforts to recognize and celebrate hip-hop's cultural and political impact at 50. That's Maxine Waters on the B-side today of Hour 2. In our third hour, two more conversations. We'll start Hour 3 in dialogue with award-winning journalist Ernest Owens, about the necessity for heightened awareness and sensitivity to language, complexities, and cultural expressions following the recent controversy surrounding Jamie Foxx's Instagram post, which some in the Jewish community found offensive. I'm sure you've heard all about it and all the drama that Jamie got himself in, the apology that was uh, forthcoming. Uh, but a lot of our Jewish brothers and sisters uh, offended by what Jamie posted. He tried to explain it, and we'll talk about it. Uh, at the start today of our three and whether or not there's a greater sensitivity we ought to have to language uh, when it comes to certain words and phrases and um, and communities. On the B side of our three, there's a fascinating new series on Roku called The Marriage Pact about the intricacies of modern relationships and whether certain couples are truly meant to say, I do. The format of the show is quite interesting. We'll explain it. Uh, in conversation with the, the show's host, Shan Boudram, on the backside of our three. All that said, let's commence today's show with uh, talking politics with one of our regular contributors, Ruben Navarrete Jr., the most widely read Latino columnist in the nation, courtesy of his column every week in the Washington Post, uh, also host of the very popular podcast, Ruben in the Center. Ruben, how are you, my friend? Good, brother. Good to be with you. Thanks. It's good to have you on. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the time. I got an hour today, a lot of stuff to move through. Let me start with this breaking news. And, and frankly, I'm not going to lie about it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm like Fannie Lou Hamer. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired about breaking news headlines regarding one Donald J. Trump. Uh, but the former president and his uh, employee, Will Nauta, pleaded not guilty this morning to additional criminal charges in the case accusing the former president of illegally holding on to secret national documents and leaving office uh, and conspiring to obstruct the government's efforts to retrieve them. You recall uh, some days ago, uh, we were told by Jack Smith, uh, special counsel for the Department of Justice, that they were bringing additional charges uh, against Donald Trump having to do with his um, uh, 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 seeking to delete security footage at Mar-a-Lago. 
and some other issues that were uh, were raised in that uh, additional indictment. So we heard about that a few days ago, uh, and today uh, President uh, Trump uh, and his employee Will Nauta pleaded not guilty to these additional charges, criminal charges. So nothing new here. We expected a not guilty plea, um, but but this this story has has legs like I've never seen, Ruben. It just keeps it keeps. It's like an Energizer Bunny, right? It keeps going and going and going. Um, and these are the latest developments today. Your thoughts, sir? Yeah. So the story, as you define it correctly, is the Trump indictments as a whole. Three different indictments, possibly a fourth coming out of uh, Fulton County, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you could be facing, the, the former president could be facing four different indictments. They are a varying strength, really. I think most people agree that the Alvin Bragg endorsement uh, in, in New York is probably the weakest in terms of, of whether Trump orchestrated the payoff to a, uh, to a porn star to keep her quiet. But the, perhaps the strongest case is the one in Mar-a-Lago about having the documents. Did Donald Trump have these classified documents or didn't he? And he did, and he showed them off, and he was caught in various lies about whether he knew he had them or whether he knew to declassify them. That's a strong case. This latest case, this third indictment, is a little kind of in the middle, because in the gray area, because uh, a president, presidential candidate who loses an election does have the right to challenge that, to speak out against that, to say, I was robbed. Uh, to, to be a sore loser is really your constitutional right. And we know this because we've seen a couple of sore losers that come to mind. Hillary Clinton was a sore loser in 2016, blaming everybody, including African-Americans who didn't turn out to vote for her to the degree that, that they should have or that she wanted them to. Uh, Bernie Sanders, um, the FBI, uh, Jim Comey, uh, the media, you name it. Uh, also, uh, famously, Al Gore in 2000 was a famously sore loser, uh, you know, demanding uh, to hold out to the last dog died and said, clearly, I won the popular vote. I won the election. So. Donald Trump had the right to say that and do that um, and, and make that kind of protest. What he doesn't have the right to do is conspire with others to orchestrate a, a takeover of the Capitol and a, a thwarting of the Democratic process, the ratification of the vote. So that seems to be where, where special counsel Jack Smith is, is you know, pitching his kit to see ultimately if he can, he can make the case that Trump could say whatever he wanted, but he couldn't do whatever he wanted and he did the wrong thing. So there's something for everybody to have us in these uh, Trump indictments. If um, if you're just uh, becoming um, familiar with our program because uh, we're in national syndication now and you've not heard the voice of Ruben Navarrete, then you uh, probably already figured out um, that he's a little more conservative uh, than I am. Um, I am unapologetically progressive, make no mistake about that. But I uh, enjoy being in dialogue with others who see the world differently than me. I ain't got a problem reexamining my assumptions expanding my inventory of ideas. But when I have persons on and they're wrong, they got to get spanked. So when we come forward, I'm going to spank Ruben Navarrete Jr. because he's wrong about two things. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. And certainly by African-American authors. But now they're going after Shakespeare. And so this is a fascinating time, I think, to have a conversation about what it means when we start removing these kinds of cultural and literary components from libraries, from schools, and from our education uh, system writ large. On the B side of our two, Representative Maxine Waters is a senior member of Congress, but she's the one who founded the To Be Young, Gifted, and Black Brain Trust. We'll talk with Maxine Waters about the Brain Trust and Congress's efforts to recognize and celebrate hip-hop's cultural and political impact at 50. That's Maxine Waters on the B side today.
of hour two. In our third hour, two more conversations. We'll start hour three in dialogue with award-winning journalist Ernest Owens about the necessity for heightened awareness and sensitivity to language, complexities, and cultural expressions following the recent controversy surrounding Jamie Foxx's Instagram post, which some in the Jewish community found offensive. I'm sure you've heard all about it and all the drama that Jamie got himself in, the apology that was uh, forthcoming. Uh, but a lot of our Jewish brothers and sisters uh, offended by what Jamie posted. He tried to explain it, and we'll talk about it. Uh, at the start today of hour three and whether or not there's a greater sensitivity we ought to have to language uh, when it comes to certain words and phrases and um, uh, and communities. On the B side of hour three, there's a fascinating new series on Roku called The Marriage Pact about the intricacies of modern relationships and whether certain couples are truly meant to say, I do. The format of the show is quite interesting. We'll explain it. Uh, in conversation with the, the show's host, Shan Boudram, on the backside of our three. All that said, let's commence today's show with uh, talking politics with one of our regular contributors, Ruben Navarrete Jr., the most widely read Latino columnist in the nation, courtesy of his column every week in the Washington Post, uh, also host of the very popular podcast, Ruben in the Center. Ruben, how are you, my friend? Good, brother. Good to be with you. Thanks. It's good to have you on. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the time. I got an hour today, a lot of stuff to move through. Let me start with this breaking news. And, and frankly, I'm not going to lie about it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm like Fannie Lou Hamer. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired about breaking news headlines regarding one Donald J. Trump. Uh, but the former president and his uh, employee, Will Nauta, pleaded not guilty this morning to additional criminal charges in the case accusing the former president of illegally holding on to secret national documents and leaving office uh, and conspiring to obstruct the government's efforts to retrieve them. You recall uh, some days ago, uh, we were told by Jack Smith, uh, special counsel for the Department of Justice, that they were bringing additional charges uh, against Donald Trump having to do with his um, uh, 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 seeking to delete security footage at Mar-a-Lago uh, and some other issues that were uh, were raised in that uh, additional indictment. So we heard about that a few days ago, uh, and today uh, President uh, Trump uh, and his employee Will Nauta pleaded not guilty to these additional charges, criminal charges. So nothing new here. We expected a not guilty plea. Um, but but this this story has has legs like I've never seen, Ruben. It just keeps it keeps it's like an energizer bunny, right? It keeps going and going and going. Um, and these are the latest developments today. Your thoughts, sir? Yeah. So the story, as you define it correctly, is the Trump indictments as a whole. Three different indictments, possibly a fourth coming out of uh, Fulton County, Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you could be facing, the, the former president could be facing four different indictments. They are of varying strengths, really. I think most people agree that the Alvin Bragg endorsement uh, in, in New York is probably the weakest in terms of, of whether Trump orchestrated the payoff to a, uh, to a porn star to keep her quiet. But the, perhaps the strongest case is the one in Mar-a-Lago about having the documents. Did Donald Trump have these classified documents or didn't he? And he did, and he showed them off, and he was caught in various lies about whether he knew he had them or whether he knew to declassify them. That's a strong case. This latest case, this third indictment, is a little kind of in the middle, because in the gray area, because uh, a president, presidential candidate who loses an election does have the right to challenge that, to speak out against that, to say, I was robbed. Uh, to, to be a sore loser is really your constitutional right. And we know this because we've seen a couple of sore losers that come to mind. Hillary Clinton was a sore loser in 2016, blaming everybody, including African-Americans who didn't turn out to vote for her, to the degree that, that they should have or that she wanted them to. 
uh, Bernie Sanders, um, the FBI, uh, Jim Comey, uh, the media, you name it. Uh, also, uh, famously, Al Gore in 2000 was a famously sore loser, uh, you know, demanding uh, to hold out to the last dog died and said, clearly, I won the popular vote. I won the election. So Donald Trump had the right to say that and do that um, and, and make that kind of protest. What he doesn't have the right to do is conspire with others to orchestrate a, a takeover of the Capitol and a, a thwarting of the Democratic process, the ratification of the vote. So that seems to be where, where Special Counsel Jack Smith is is you know pitching his tent to see ultimately if he can he can make the case that Trump could say whatever he wanted, but he couldn't do whatever he wanted, and he did the wrong thing. So there's something for everybody to have us in these uh, Trump indictments. If um if you're just uh, becoming um, familiar with our program because uh, we're in national syndication now, and you've not heard the voice of Ruben Navarrete, then you probably already figured out. Um, but he's a little more conservative uh, than I am. Um, I am unapologetically progressive, make no mistake about that. But I uh, enjoy being in dialogue with others who see the world differently than me. I ain't got a problem reexamining my assumptions, expanding my inventory of ideas. But when I have persons on and they're wrong, they got to get spanked. So when we come forward, I'm going to spank Ruben Navarrete Jr. because he's wrong about two things. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. MC Light for AARP. Hip-hop, the cultural phenomenon that took New York by storm in 1973, is celebrating 50 years of rocking mics and crowds. Whether you're a ride-or-die hip-hop head or simply curious about its origins, check out the latest issue of AARP the magazine. It celebrates this incredible milestone with a featured story brimming with fun hip-hop facts and history. Head over to aarp.org slash black community to learn more. Community is more than where you live. It's the people in it who go above and beyond to help it thrive. During the 50th anniversary of hip-hop and the 75th anniversary of black radio, AARP recognizes the members, volunteers, people, and partners giving back to our communities. We believe when our efforts drive change for the greater good, we all thrive together. To learn more about how AARP supports efforts to keep our communities thriving, visit aarp.org slash black community. Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. All right, Ruben Navarrete Jr., let's get into it. Uh, Ruben and I have been friends for over 30 years. Uh, we once hosted a radio program together uh, here in Los Angeles. So, again, if you're listening uh, to this program in our national uh, um, syndicated format and have uh, not uh, heard the voice of Ruben and are familiar with him, then you will hear him on this program from time to time. Uh, his views, again, more conservative than I am. That's why he hosts a podcast called Ruben in the Center. And I tease him all the time about getting out of the center uh, of the road before he gets run over. Um, but I digress on that point for the moment. So there, there are two things. There are two things you said that I want to push back on right quick. Number one, yep. I, 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 you're right. Everybody has the right to be a sore loser if they if if they want to be. Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two. Perhaps we sh- you should define what you mean by sore loser, uh, because number three, and this is my first point. I get to my second point in a moment. My first point is if you think that Al Gore was a sore loser, put down the crack pipe, Ruben. Al Gore, Al, Al Gore was not a sore loser to my to my point uh, to to my remembrance. Al Gore, frankly, was the most gracious loser this country's ever seen. He demanded a, a recount. Nothing wrong with that. And as I said the other day on this program in another conversation, I'm still mad at Al Gore for not fighting the right fights in Florida. There's a, there's a major book coming out about Al Gore, written by a major media personality. 
And they've been talking to everybody. It, it just turns out that a few weeks ago they, they called me and we sat for a couple hours in dialogue um, about my remembrances of what happened in, in 2000. Uh, what, what I recall about it, what I was saying about it in my commentary at the time. So a major book, the first book, frankly, coming out that looks back at that election and tries to consider what really happened. Uh, and I and I offered a searing indictment of Al Gore. I like Al Gore. I, I, I've known Al Gore. I, I think Al Gore and I, you know, he would consider me a friend. Uh, and at the same time, I was disappointed in him because he didn't fight the right fights in Florida. They, they, they refused to count the right count to recount the right counties. And Al Gore was so afraid. He was so afraid uh, of, of, of winning that election on the backs, if you will, of black voters or because of the support of black voters. He didn't, uh, he didn't want that, that, that election victory had he wanted to be racialized. You may recall Ruben that Al Gore famously demanded that Jesse Jackson not go into Florida. He didn't want Jesse in Florida. He didn't want to be connected to anything that was black. So they should have been recounting in Broward County, a whole lot of black folk in Broward County. They didn't want to go there. So the Al Gore campaign, which, by the way, was run by a black woman named Donna Brazil. Donna was, Donna was not involved in this part of that. But Al Gore didn't want to be that close to black folk uh, and owe them. I mean, co contrast Al Gore. Give me a few minutes here. I'm, I'm going to set this up. Contrast okay. Al Gore with <laughs> Joe Biden. Joe Biden is happy to tell you that he's president because of black folk. I don't think substantively he's done enough. Uh, progressively, he's not done enough um, uh, politically. But you can't argue with what he's done symbolically for black folks, starting with KBG on the Supreme Court. Uh, you can go before that with Kamala Harris as his running mate. So he understands very clearly that he would not be president were it not for black folk. And to his credit, Joe Biden has not run from that. Al Gore didn't want to be connected to that. And so he made a huge mistake by not recounting the right counties in Florida that could have, I believe, given Al Gore the win. When he didn't get the win after the recount, he graciously said, it's my time to go. And perhaps you're misremembering, but all the media gave Al Gore credit for that serious moment that was, you know, a, a moment for this democracy hanging in the balance. Who was going to be the president? He graciously walked away. So how in the heck are you calling Al Gore a sore loser? So I appreciate all that. Let me give you a three points uh, in return. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I'm more conservative than you, and I think that, that there are a couple reasons for that. One is the fact that I'm, you know, from a conservative farm country in central California, you know, conservatism is in the air. Mm -hmm. Another one is that I'm, I'm Mexican-American, Latino, and like, I would argue, like the black community, the black community and the Latino community have something in common. They are conservative communities. Now, I don't mean conservative in terms of Republican-Democrat. I mean in terms of, of social values, going to church, strength of family, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, don't think, I don't think that black folks or brown folks poll at the far left. They don't poll in the Nancy Pelosi liberal left. They tend to be Democrats, but conservative Democrats. Uh, so I, I would make the point that I'm conservative in that regard. Mm -hmm. But my, my, my beef with you, my friend, is always that I think you get the story 50% right. Okay. I think that you are, you are completely right that the Republican Party is not a friend to black and brown folks. Mm -hmm. I think where you miss the picture is you don't, you don't extrapolate that to the Democratic Party, which mm -hmm. is also not a friend to black and brown folks. Mm -hmm. I think you grade the Republicans too hard, which good for you. You should. And I think you grade the Republic, the Democrats too soft and on the curve, and you should not do that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I come down on being conservative. The second thing about 
uh, Joe Biden, it is true, if you really want to lay it out, it's true that Joe Biden uh, can say he's president because of black folks, specifically because of, uh, of James Clyburn and South Carolina. Uh, and, and the fact that black folks saved Joe Biden's bacon uh, from, from this onslaught, and particularly against Bernie Sanders. That's true. But, but Joe Biden's been in politics for 50 years. He would not have gotten this far had he not, early on in his career, taken care of white folks by, in some cases, demonizing black folks. This is, after all, Joe Biden is the author of the 1994 crime bill, the racist crime bill that led to mass incarceration of black folks. Can't argue that. Uh, changed, changed sentencing laws regarding crack and cocaine. Mm-hmm beefed up police departments without accountability. And did you know that the 1994 crime bill was written, in fact, by the nation's, the nation's largest police union, mm-hmm. which are mostly white? Mm-hmm. Right? So Joe Biden <laughs> gets the nod. Let me get, get this straight. In 2008, because we're just talking here, you and me, right? Yeah. So we're just being honest, like brothers are honest. And, and you and I recall um, in, in another lifetime where you moderated a debate uh, at PBS uh, on PBS, uh, mm-hmm. the Democrats, and I was there. You were gracious enough to invite me to be one of the, the participants on the panel. Yep. And Joe Biden was there. The reason Joe Biden was ultimately chosen by Barack Obama as his running mate is because he's lunch bucket Joe. Because Joe Biden was thought to be fluent in white folks. He could speak to white folks and speak to folks in the Rust Belt. And unfortunately, what he's often said to white folks is, vote for me and I'll protect you against the black folks. So that's Joe Biden, too. That's not just, it's not just Joe Biden who put you know, um, Ketanji Brown-Jackson on the Supreme Court. It's also this other part of Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Lastly, with regard to Al Gore, you remember famously those T-shirts and signs in 2000, sore loserman, sore loserman, and supposed to Gore Lieberman. Mm-hmm. And the sense was that, 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 Joe, that Al Gore had gotten into this hole of his own digging. He had dug himself into this hole. There was this fascinating story I read after the 2000 election in Vanity Fair, where the, the writers, the authors, went interviewed like 50 or 60 people in the Clinton camp mm-hmm. and in the Gore camp. And they compared the notes. And what the Gore people said is, Clinton cost us the election because of Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. And what the Clinton people said is, Gore cost himself the election because he never understood the Clinton gift of being able to connect to people. Mm-hmm. Right? Gore's too stiff. Gore's too cold. Gore, Gore wouldn't take coaching from Bill Clinton because Clinton's only won two presidential elections. What does he know, right? <laughs> so Gore's arrogance, that Harvard arrogance that I know so well, brother, mm-hmm. that Harvard arrogance that Al Gore had, it, it helped topple the brother. And, and ultimately, I think that's what he needed to own up to, but he never did. It was always the Supreme Court's at fault, George W. Bush's at fault, the Republicans' at fault. I just wanted Al Gore to stand up and say, I blew it. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you never get politicians to say to, to stand up and say I blew it. That that that's asking for for too much. That, that's a bridge too far, as they say. You know that's not going to happen. Uh, but again, uh, my recollection is that Al Gore went uh, after the recount, went sort of quietly into that good night, uh, and I recall him being rather gracious in losing, even though I thought again that he made a huge mistake and would not have lost had he not fought uh, black folk, including Jesse Jackson, about which counties that needed to be recounted in that election of 2000. That's why I can't wait for this book to come out. Um, all kinds of folk, again, will be uh, will be cited in the text, and I'll have the author on this program to talk about that because it's instructive and informative, I think, in a lot of ways, even almost 25 years later. So I look forward to that book. But your recollection of Al Gore being a sore loser and mine just don't, 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 don't jive. 
that said, um, to your critique of me and how different we are uh, about uh, how we critique these political parties, uh, I, I think perhaps you've not been listening to me well over the years that we've known each other. Uh, I, I I, I, I'm the guy. I'm the guy, as you yep. know, who caught all kind of hell for trying to hold Obama yep. accountable by my own community. Yep. So yep, yep. don't 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 tell me that I won't hold Democrats accountable, even if they're black and they're historic as the first African-American president. So I know uh, how to hold folk accountable uh, to the truth that I think um, that uh, they ought to be held accountable to. Broadly speaking, and even Bill Clinton, you referenced a moment ago, Bill Clinton, again, if he were here, would say, Tavis is my friend. We're friends. And yet he was wrong on that welfare bill. And I took him on publicly about the welfare Mm -hmm. bill. He was wrong on signing that crime bill, that racist crime bill. You had to get caught with 100 times more powder than crack cocaine to get the same sentence. Mm -hmm. That was racist on its face. I took Bill Clinton on about that. And so there have been a number of issues. Bill Clinton, the worst mistake of his presidency, which I told him to his face and on national media, he didn't go into Rwanda. A huge mistake by not going into Rwanda. Uh, And so he made a bunch of mistakes on his watch. And I was not afraid to call him on that. Um, I think that I think the difference between you and me is that you want to call out the entire party apparatus. And yeah. I and I want to call out individuals because in either party, there are people who I can have a legitimate, reasonable conversation with. But I think, broadly speaking, that Democrats have and continue oftentimes to take black folk for granted and yes, Republican yes, yes. and Republicans just ignore black folk altogether. So one party ignores you. One party takes you for granted. That's why I call myself yes. and I am a progressive. You will never hear me on this program or any place else running the Democratic talking points. We just don't do it. We had the chairman of the Democratic Party on yesterday, Jamie Harrison, and I had to push him on a couple of things yesterday. So, again, I don't want to ever paint anybody with a broad brush, although it's easy to do that these days with the Republicans because there's such Donald Trump. Trump sycophants. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, again, yeah. I don't I don't I don't want to I don't want to filibuster it like I'm on the floor of the United States Senate. Uh, but my my, <laughs> my, my my point is that I don't think you and I are all together that far apart. Um, but I think on the Al Gore thing, um, you may be uh, a bit wrong on that. My second issue uh, that I want to uh, 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 challenge you on is this notion. And maybe you weren't doing this, but it certainly sounded this way. Everybody, to your point, has a right to be a sore loser. But Donald Trump is so much more than a sore loser. And I don't I don't like the idea that you're conflating Al Gore and and Hillary Clinton. There is absolutely no conflation between their being sore losers, even if they were. And the nonsense, the drama, the illegal activity of Donald Trump. And I just need to hear you make that distinction, Ruben. Well, absolutely. And not just the illegal activity of Donald Trump, the column I'm working on right now, I get back to after our segment is is all about Donald Trump's attack on Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. I, how could you have imagined that Al Gore would go after Joe Lieberman, his running mate, you know, or that uh, Hillary Clinton would attack Tim Kaine that, that uh, ferociously, that viciously? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we get down to it, Donald Trump is not a good person. He's not a decent person. He's not an honorable person. He has no character. Uh, these are all things I've, I've, <laughs> I've called the man every trick in the book, every name in the book uh, <laughs> since, since June 2015 when he came down the escalator and let it be known. Let it be known that it was not African-Americans who are the group that hold the distinction of being the first group that he attacked. The first group that he attacked when he came down the elevator at Trump Tower to announce he was running for president in June 2015 was my Mexican grandfather. Mm-hmm. When he said Mexicans come here, they're drug dealers and they're drug traffickers and they're mm-hmm. rapists and criminals. Mm-hmm. OK, so we, be- we beat you all to the punch on that one. Yep. He came after us first. So I've called him every name in the book um, and some that aren't in the book. 
I agree with you, um, but the, the case was whether Jack Smith was wise to bring this additional indictment based on something I think as flimsy as the fact that he thought the election was stolen from him. And here's why. Here's my only concern here. Okay. More and more now, Tavis, you are hearing on, on radio shows and in columns and the like, this concern among progressives and people who are anti-Trump that the indictments are piling on and they're going to have a backfiring effect. Yes, yes, yes. That, that, that the other Republicans who are running for office, Christie and Haley and DeSantis, are all saying, please, no more indictments, please. Because the more indictments you have, the more popular you make Trump, the more oxygen you suck out of the room, you don't give the, the folks in the primary any chance. You've inflamed all the Trump people, and now I'm starting to worry. I'm starting to worry. So I don't like all these indictments. Mm. I think that the Mar-a-Lago document one, absolutely solid, go after it. But the idea of piling on is going to have a reverse effect, and God forbid, re-elect Donald Trump. No, I think I think there's something to that, and I've said that before on this program, that I, I, I have grave concerns uh, about the appearance that that he's being piled on even if these um these charges that are being brought are legitimate but it raises a fascinating yeah. it raises a fascinating question which you and I'll get into when we come forward the question is are you more concerned about the optics or are you more concerned about the rule of law what matters more the optics of piling on he did all this nonsense Letitia and Jamal uh, uh, Hector and Maria in your community wouldn't get away with it. Letitia and Jamal wouldn't get away with it in my community. So why be concerned? We're never concerned about the optics when we pile on black people. We're never concerned about the optics when we pile on Hispanic people, Latino people, your community. That never matters. But now all of a sudden we're concerned about the optics of this. I, I'm not naive in saying this, but do the optics matter more than the rule of law? Let's have that debate, that conversation when we come forward. And also uh, got a bit more Trump news to take your temperature on. Uh, Trump said today that he will not sign a loyalty pledge required for the GOP debate. There's a big GOP debate coming up, as you all know. And Trump has said he will not sign the loyalty pledge. In other words, he, he will not sign a pledge that says he will support the eventual nominee if it is not him. More to talk about with Ruben Navarrete Jr. when we come forward on Tavis Smile. So Ruben Navarrete Jr., let's get back to this conversation we were having a moment ago um, or starting to have a moment ago about the optics. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, there are a number of people, and I've been in these conversations with folk who are concerned that the, the harder they go after Donald Trump, the more uh, the optics uh, don't look good. Uh, it looks like a pile on, and that's going to motivate and uh, and inspire those on the right to turn out uh, to support him, particularly as long as most of the Republicans running against him for the nomination aren't saying he ought to get out of the race um, in, in, in this contest. Asa, Hutchins, Asa Hutchinson has said that. Will Hurd has sort of said that. But they're all the, 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 the major names, the Nikki Haley's, the Ron DeSantis's, um, the Chris Christie's and others have not have not suggested that. So they're still giving him cover and giving him pass at a certain level. But I think I think you're right that the optics of this are starting to look a little tricky. But the question is whether or not the optics matter more than the rule of law. Your thoughts. Well, they should not matter more than the rule of law to Republicans because those hypocrites in the Republican Party have for the last 30 years that we've known each other, and even before that, talked our ear off about how they're the party of the rule of law, mm -hmm. the party of law and order. Mm -hmm. They believe in accountability. They think people should take responsibility for their actions. And Republicans, and particularly white Republicans, have stared at the defendant's table and seen a young Latino or African-American. They have given this sermon 
about the rule of law and you must take responsibility for your actions and own up to your mistakes. And now Donald Trump comes along and all that goes out the window <laughs> because apparently that doesn't apply to rich white billionaires. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, this is how Ruben got to be in the center because I tick off everybody, you know, and if you're honest in politics, you're going to tick off everybody. I don't work for anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the Republican party is guilty of this glaring hypocrisy. But there's a third option there besides accountability, which is important. Optics, which I would say are not that important. For me, I'm obsessed about option number three, the outcome. Mm -hmm. The outcome of this election is what I care about. Right. And I think it would be supremely ironic. It would be this incredible outcome, this terrible outcome, if Donald Trump's legal troubles actually helped put him in the White House to a degree where he could pardon himself, uh, fire people left and right, and clear up all his legal troubles. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because why? Because, again, it's not just a question of piling on. There are a good number of Republicans who support Trump and even Republicans who up to now didn't support him who think that there is corruption going on here, that the Justice Department and the FBI have shown themselves to be hyperpartisan. Going back to conversations with Peter Stroke and, and Lisa Page and Andrew McCabe uh, and, and all the conversations about an insurance policy and the Steele dossier, what I see when I look at Washington is a hyper-political town where a bunch of lawyers at the Justice Department and increasingly a bunch of lawyers at the FBI had it in for Trump uh, and made his life very difficult as president. That's not to excuse everything he did, <laughs> but I'm not blind. I just fall off the truck. Clearly, the Democrats run the DOJ and the Democrats run uh, through his lifetime appointments the FBI. And so when you're a conservative or you're a person out there watching this stuff, you think to yourself, there they go again. They're not attacking Christie, uh, you know, Ramaswamy, uh, Haley. They're attacking the front runner. They must be afraid of him. Ergo, I'm going to vote for him. And I'm thinking, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> Stop indicting the guy. Okay, <laughs> that's not the that's not the outcome I want. I guess the question is, I'm listening to you. And I guess the question is, how we even get to the point? Language matters. I mean, you're 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 a writer. You've written books. You write a column yep. every week. Um, yep. you, you're, you're an excellent writer, brilliant writer and, and language and language matters. And I guess part of what disturbs me is how we even have gotten to the point of allowing yep. people to say whatever you think of the Department of Justice, whatever you think of the FBI, that they're attacking Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not being attacked. Donald Trump broke the law and he broke the law repeatedly. As I said earlier, if Letitia or Jamal break the law, nobody yeah. says that the government is attacking Letitia and Jamal. If Hector or Maria break the law, nobody says Hector and Maria are being attacked by government, uh, by, by, by law enforcement. You broke the law. You do the crime. You do the time. And so the, the, the fact that we've allowed this word and words like attack to enter uh, synonym for attack, to enter into our discourse, to enter into our dialogue, I think is another is, is, is another mistake that we've made allowing allowing the right to language this debate, to language this conversation in the way that they are. And I've been at this a while. You've been at it a while. I'm the first to admit they are so much better at languaging, the right is, than the left is. And that goes back to Newt Gingrich. He taught them how to language. Frank Luntz wrote a book about uh, their their, their strategist, their poster. Frank Luntz wrote a book for them about how to language. They're so much better at languaging, but Donald Trump is not being attacked. And frankly, I'm tired of hearing that line of argument. So... You are not tired of hearing that line of argument when the defendant is an African-American elected official or, in my case, a Latino elected official 
who's being prosecuted, persecuted by uh, some special counsel or, or maybe the Justice Department, for that matter. Mm-hmm. You and I have said in the past, as we defend individuals like that, that we want to process for that person and they are being unfairly targeted or singled out. Sure. So we cannot have it both ways. We cannot say, oh, yeah, well, when Donald Trump is the defendant, you know, we, we throw the book at him. We're all, we're, all of a sudden, we're about law and order. The prosecutors are pure as the German snow. But when an African-American or Latino is at the defendant's table, oh, well, we have a right to question the prosecutor. It's clearly this is politically motivated and, and they, they deserve due process. No, and I hear again, we disagree. I, I think you can have it both ways. I think I think the data and the evidence is incontrovertible. It is unassailable that there are any number of occasions where black and brown lawmakers are specifically targeted by the system. That's a fact, number one. And number two, the data is clear. They get overcharged. They get overcharged. Let me let me just go there. You you teed this up. I'm going to go all the way there. In fact, I'm working right now on an editorial uh, that will be heard on my home station in Los Angeles, KBLA Talk 1580. Um, the case of Mark Willie Thomas out in California, uh, Los Angeles, that you know well. So uh, Mark Willie Thomas, city councilman, uh, accused of, 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 of honest service violations, um, that he tried to bribe somebody at USC with a $100,000 donation. Um, he's about to be sentenced on the 21st of this month. So the probation department, Mark Willie Thomas has never been in trouble, black man, by the way, never been in trouble at one point, the most powerful black legislator in this state, never in his life once been in trouble. The prosecution uh, uh, stipulated during the trial that the $100,000 donation was, in fact, legal. And I don't want to get in the weeds of this. My point is that the probation department for a guy who's been a public servant for 30 plus years, never been in trouble, recommended 18 months. 18 months they recommended for Mark Willie Thomas. The prosecution came out earlier this week and said they want six years. <laughs> the, the probation department says 18 months. The prosecution wants six years after piling on all these charges. They get him on seven. They don't get him on 12. So they're overcharging to begin with. And they want six years. Let me just put another pin. Let me put a final point on this. You probably read earlier this week. Well, the last officer in the case of George Floyd, uh, Derek Chauvin, of course, with the knee on the neck, yes. the last officer yes. was um, sentenced this week. Yes. That officer was given five years for doing nothing to step in to save the life of George Floyd. He's holding back the yes. crowd. They gave him five years for doing nothing to save the life of George Floyd. But they want to give Mark Ridley Thomas six years, six years over $100,000, no matter what you think he did with it, six years, over $100,000, there is no victim. Uh, nobody got hurt. The ta- it, was, it was not taxpayer money. Just one example, and I could, do this, I could do this all day long if I had the time, of the way they overcharge, the way they target black and brown leaders all the time. So to say that Donald Trump should not be held accountable because we got to be fair. We can't say it over here when we say it over here. No, that's nonsense. I digress more when we come forward with Ruben Navarrete Jr. on Tavis Smile. Ruben, let me ask you a, a point blank question. Um, obviously, you're brown. I'm black. We've been friends for over 30 years, even though we argue like enemies sometimes. Uh, we are friends. <laughs> we are friends and brothers beloved. Um, are, you yes. t- are you telling me that you do not believe that black and brown uh, elected officials and others are more unfairly targeted, get overcharged more than anybody else, 
and are given harsher sentences than anybody else. You don't believe those three facts? No, I believe those things. I've seen cases, in fact, that prove those things. Uh, I would say that they are scrutinized when they get into office. Uh, they can then be targeted if they are perceived as doing something wrong. I will say, speaking only for my own community, that many Latino leaders have turned out to have clay feet, mm-hmm. that they have they are flawed individuals who mm-hmm. have made mistakes, uh, and they should be held accountable for those mistakes. I can't, I can't think of a single Latino elected official who ended up in the crosshairs who was completely innocent. I'll just say it like that, okay? Uh, so I, I, just speaking for my community. Mm-hmm. So I, but, I, but I do think you're right that there is this concern, and I think maybe you can't divorce this from the fact that most of the prosecutors and the entire justice system is overwhelmingly white. The judges are white. Duh. Uh, there's, this con- Duh. Yeah, there's, this <laughs> there's this concern that these people, these people, meaning African-Americans and Latinos, that they're ascending to power, and that's a threat to somebody. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me qu- just quickly say, when you use the word targeted, Excuse me. I have a number of uh, white friends who are Republicans. I listen to a lot of Republican conservative media during during the day. They use exactly that word. They say that the DOJ is targeting Donald Trump, that special counsel Jack Smith is targeting, Merrick Garlick is targeting, uh, the attorney general is targeting. They use target all the time. They think that, in fact, to use your word, that Donald Trump has been targeted. You say overcharge. I hear that. I also see that in the Mar-a-Lago case where Donald Trump was accused of having these classified documents, you know what they charged him with? Espionage. Espionage, mm-hmm. right? Just get him on what you got him on. Okay, you, you, you already got him on breaking the law. He shouldn't have had these documents. He lied about having them. Mm-hmm. You got to go overboard. You got to put the cherry on the Sunday and say he's guilty of espionage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which only plays into the hands of the crazy Trumpers who think the whole thing's rigged. And lastly, this idea somehow that I say the DOJ and FBI are attacking people. Right. Yeah, because the DOJ and the FBI do not come to this party with clean hands. Again, if you look back at, at how they behaved during the Trump administration and leading up to it, there was a lot of politicizing and a lot of people, I would say, who were Democrats first and FBI agents second, Democrats first and DOJ lawyers second. Uh, a lot of people out there on the conservative right want to know why the DOJ and FBI didn't go after Hillary Clinton over the lost emails, why they didn't go after um, Hunter Biden. They're still not going after Hunter Biden and asking about all the money he may have made from China and his refusal to pay taxes on it. You have whistleblowers. You have whistleblowers coming forward and testifying that something has gone wrong there. And, and I'm all about getting to the bottom of both of it. I just, that's where you and I disagree. I just think both parties are corrupt to their core. So, so this is the point in the conversation, that, that, that point in the conversation, where Tavis um, looks to the sky and rubs his chin and says – I don't know whether the next words out of my mouth should be two wrongs don't make a right or if it's good for the goose. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 So, Ruben, uh, you and I have been doing this for 30 years, and this conversation took a bunch of turns, as often is the case, that I didn't know it was going to take. I had other things on my docket I wanted to get to, but I, I, uh, we, 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 we let it do what it do, right? And here we are with, with five minutes to go. Let, let me, we, we were talking, I was talking to, to J.D. and Miles, my producer and board op, um, during that break, uh, and we, we raised the issue of the O.J. Simpson case. <laughs> Uh, and we all recall that, of course, it's just, a, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a benchmark in American history. And let me just be, you know, let me just be, you know, honest about it. Uh, there were a lot of black folk, never mind the fact that two precious bodies, uh, were found, two mm-hmm. lives were lost. You know this, you and I were together then. Yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah. there are a lot of black folk that just, they, they frankly didn't care. 
Black folk have been yeah. rail black folk have been railroaded for so many years by this system. Negroes didn't care about OJ. OJ hadn't been black in thirty years. <laughs> yeah, 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 that that was not the issue. The point was that they railroaded they railroaded black folk for so long. Finally, somebody right. somebody makes the system uh, accountable. And so I raised that because do I really care if Donald Trump is being targeted? Do I really care if he's being overcharged? Do I really care if he may be given ultimately a harsher sentence, particularly given that he could pardon himself if he wins? Do I really care? What my honest answer? Nah, not really. I don't really care. Given the way they maltreated your community, my community all these years, if he is being targeted, if he is being overcharged, if he is given a harsher sentence for what he has done, for the crimes that we know he committed, I got to be honest, Ruben, I don't care. I don't care. I heard from a... I heard from some folks this week who say that they were not voting for Trump. They're not with Trump and they have their eye on other candidates in the GOP field. Right. But they resent the idea that somehow the Justice Department is trying to make the choice for them. Right. And so there's more backlash there. So what what you should care about is not the optics. It's not whether Donald Trump is being treated unfairly. What you should care about is the very real possibility that all these indictments will backfire and we will end up in a place where nobody wants to go. And that is in a second Donald Trump term because because Donald, because uh, Joe Biden is already his competency is already being questioned. His his age, his approval rating, if you're taking a look at it, has been in the low 40s forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Democrats are speaking loudly about whether or not they have confidence that he'll be able to go the distance. You, you do not want, I think, to take the chance yeah. of putting Donald Trump anywhere near that November ballot. I want Donald Trump taken out in the primary, but how can those people in the primary get any footing or oxygen if every couple of days is another indictment? Nope. So as always, uh, as I said, Ruben and I have been doing this for over 30 years, uh, and no matter how disparate we are in our political views, social views, economic views, cultural views, it's always the case by the time we get to the end of the conversation, we find ourselves in agreement. <laughs> and so we, we, abso- we absolutely agree on this. I do not want the optics of this uh, to give an impression to his group of supporters that he's being unfairly targeted. Uh, and I don't want them to be motivated to turn out at higher numbers because this election is going to be all about turnout. Every election is. But this one, more than any other, is going to be about who, in fact, turns out. And on that point, Ruben and I absolutely agree that you get to a point where the optics for his supporters look like they're coming for him. And if that motivates them to turn out, turn out and the Biden supporters don't turn out and Donald Trump ends up being reelected, then Ruben will have been right on that on that point. Uh, I close this conversation for now. Ruben will do it again. All the best to you. I appreciate you, friend. Congratulations on national syndication, brother. You deserve it. Love you. Love you back, Next man. Time. Love you back. Nothing you can do about it, even though even if we disagree. Uh, more of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. 